This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, November 20, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. Karma Metzler Fitzgerald stops by today to talk about her run for the State House, District 26 in Idaho. But first, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that money injects corruption into our government. As an example, the total cost of the 2022 state and federal midterm elections this year is projected to hit $16.7 billion. That's according to OpenSecrets.org. And hey, you know, that money comes with strings attached, right? If you're as concerned about it as I am, then check out Move to Amend. Move to Amend is an organization dedicated to passing a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. To put it simply, the proposed amendment states that corporations are not people. In other words, money does not equal free speech. It's a bold concept that's designed to get the influence of money out of our elections. For more information, you can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. Karma Metzler Fitzgerald joins us now to talk about her race for the State House in District 26 in Idaho. It's a fairly rural district stretched out in the, in the south-central part of the state, situated between you know, Boise and Idaho Falls. The district includes cities like Ketchum, Sun Valley, Haley, Bellevue, Shoshone, and just skirts the northern edge of Twin Falls. The district has a population of about 42,000, most of which is rural. Karma ran as a Democrat against Republican Jack Nelson, and for a day, she actually won. Then she lost. If that sounds intriguing to you, well, we're going to talk about that shortly. But first, some background on Karma. She describes herself as a community builder and advocate for farm and rural families. While raising three children, she fully engaged herself as a youth leader, Girl Scout leader, 4-H, and future Farmers of America mom, a band mom, a team mom, And just as her youngest child was graduating from high school, COVID hit, so she rallied her friends and mobilized to serve their communities. She's a co-founder and chairman of the Lincoln County Youth Commission, raising about $1.3 million in grants and donations to buy a building for the youth center and pay for staff and programming and find ways to serve the children living in Lincoln County. They also opened a preschool and have plans to create a daycare as soon as possible. Karma is also a director and chairman of the Lincoln County Transportation Commission, and this commission acquired a number of commuter vans that they used to get children to and from the youth center, but they also used the vans during the day to transport adults to the doctor or pick up parts for area farmers or get people to the grocery store, etc. And Karma is also founder of the Ledge Business Incubator, which seeks to educate children and adults in setting up and running their own businesses. So, Karma, I'm shocked and amazed, and quite honestly, I'm very humbled that you actually find the time to sit down and talk with us at Democracy on the Move at this point. So, welcome to the program, and it's nice to have you as our guest today. Well, I'm quite honored to be here. Thank you for thinking of me. Good. Well, um, now, you're very focused on community service, as I mentioned, and it seems you have a lot going on. I mean, after raising three kids, maybe you just had some idle time. (laughs) I don't know. But it seems like you're doing enough to fill the time for 10 people, really. You're obviously very successful at community service. So why run for office? I mean, what do you hope to accomplish for your state that you aren't already doing? Well, I wanted to take the 
kinds of programs that we were doing here in Lincoln County, Idaho, and really spread that work out. And I thought the next best step would be to take it to the legislative district, which is a total of three counties, including this one. And, you know, service has always been part of who I am. And, you know, honestly, I running for office wasn't even on my radar. And I'm part of a program called Leadership Idaho Agriculture, which teaches people to advocate on behalf of our industry. And I was sitting in a meeting and this state senator kind of rather facetiously said, who wants my job? And I felt my arm go up and I thought, well, that's crazy. I don't want that job. <laughs> and um, and they, that, that is was crazy. in November. Of, <laughs> yeah, I was like, stop it. And and so that was in November of 2020. And I was it kind of was in my head. And um, I thought, well, maybe I'll look at the county commission office. We, we have a board of county commissioners that make decisions for the county. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that one of my closest friends and business partners is uh, the current county commissioner for what was my district at the time. And uh, I said, hey, are you going to run again? And she said, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to try for one more. I said, OK, well, when you're done, I'll go after that position. And mm -hmm. in the meantime, maybe I'll run for school board. And she said, you will be bored out of your mind on the school board. Why don't you run for a state office? And I said, well, that's just crazy. Mm -hmm. I, why would I do that? And then a few days later, I walked into my favorite fabric store, a great little place north of Shoshone, Idaho, called Sally's Back Porch Fabrics. And I hadn't planned about it. I planned on it. I wasn't even really thinking about it. And I walked in and my friends were all there. And I said, you know, girls, I think I'm going to run for a state office. And I kind of felt the words coming out of my mouth before I realized what I was saying. And one of my friends turned around and said, well, that's good because the current legislator is on her way over here to talk to you because she thinks you should run for her seat. Wow. Yeah. So I met with uh, Representative Sally Toon, who had has the seat uh, until Mr. Nelson is sworn in next uh, in a couple of weeks. But mm -hmm. um, so she started mentoring me and uh, go. I she took me everywhere that she could take me to just see if I liked the job and I loved the job and she had to take a few days off. So they swore me in to fill in her seat while she was off. And that was like a drug. And, uh, it didn't, after that, I was all in. Wow. Wow. That yeah. is. Does it, yeah. does that, does out of curiosity, cause I know some States pay a lot for these positions, like California and New York pay like, you know, six digits for, for filling these positions. But there's other States like New Hampshire that pay like $200 for like, you know, two years worth of work or something. What's yeah. it, what, just out of curiosity, what's that like in Idaho there? It's a little less than $20,000. And uh, that includes, you get a stipend that typically the legislature is in session for about three months. So you get uh, $135 a day when you're in session for your mm -hmm. living allowance. Oh, okay. And then the rest of it's 18 something. So well, if it's only yeah, three months, much. it's not too bad, though. I mean, that's, um, you know, Missouri here, they have like uh, it's a five month session and they pay about thirty five thousand. But, you know, it's after five months, you know, how do you find a job for the remaining seven months out of the year? Um, <laughs> but I could probably deal with three months, you know, maybe take a leave of absence or something like that. Yeah, well, it's, you know, the job you're in session for three months, but the job is pretty much ongoing. There's constant if you're actually doing it correctly you know you need to be meeting with your constituents and and working with the different committees that you're on and stuff so 
it it really is a 12 month a year job um it's just busier in some months than others yeah but it you know it's hard to have another job on top of it for sure yeah i can imagine so here you are. You took a run for the state house, and you were encouraged by a lot of people. And and, um, and you know, like like you said, your voice was just telling you to do it. And your own voice was sort of saying what you were going to do. And um, and and as I said at the top, you you actually won, but only for a day. And and this is an intriguing story. It's kind of like getting yeah. tickets to see Taylor Swift, only to find out you don't really have tickets to see Taylor Swift. <laughs> That was a tragedy, right? But uh, so you can explain yeah. to us, you know, what happened in your election? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, as as of this recording, we're still trying to kind of figure that out. But uh, what it looks like is uh, the vote totals uh, from each county get uploaded into the state system. And in Jerome County, which is the county just south of where I live, uh, which runs between here and the Snake River Canyon, uh, their absentee ballots didn't their absentee and mail-in ballots did not transfer over to the state totals mm -hmm. and so when everybody looked at the totals coming in and this was like three o'clock in the morning last wednesday uh it looked like i'd won by 385 votes mm -hmm. and then uh so you know and things move really fast like the the speaker of the house staff had already reached out to me and and I had gotten my parking pass and the keys to the state house were on the way and all of these things are just in motion. Mm -hmm. And then Thursday, a week ago, the, so that, what is that? The 10th of November, about 10 o'clock in the morning, the secretary of state's office called and said, uh, hey, not all of the numbers up uploaded correctly. So the vote totals that you saw were not accurate. Mm -hmm. And you actually lost by 85 votes. Oh, wow. And yeah. so, so it appears to have been either a clerical error or an upload error. We're not really sure. Um, it, we're just kind of trying to understand what happens more than anything to make sure it doesn't happen to somebody else because yeah. it's pretty miserable. It, it was a big gut punch. So oh, we, yeah. my, my volunteer team, uh, it, which is I, the most amazing group of people ever. Uh, they have been crunching numbers. Um, I took a few days off because after that, I just, I needed some time. So mm -hmm. I took a few days off and I am just now getting, so I can look at the numbers uh, with my eyes open and, and try to figure out what happened. And, and so, you know, we, we just want to make sure number one, that this sort of thing never happens again. Yeah. And number two, we want to take a look at the numbers and see, you know, where, which precincts we did, we do well in and which precincts do we need to work harder in? So, yeah. well, I mean, it was a margin of three, 385 votes first, and it went down to a margin of 85 votes the other way. I mean, it's pretty close either way, but, um, yeah, it, it kind of like makes me wonder, you know, the Republicans uh, like to say, stop counting, stop counting, don't count the mail-in and absentee ballots, you know, because yeah. it's like like playing a football game and suddenly your your team scores a touchdown, like, okay, stop the game, we're done. Um, yeah. But it, it, yeah. It's, it's not over until it's over. So uh, it sounds to me <laughs> like, you know, they, they just missed some votes there. Had to be emotionally draining, though. Oh, you know, because you're so tired, you, you you know, you give up nine months of your life, basically, to to get this job. And I I just felt like the whole time this, this is the job I was meant to do. It just felt right. Mm -hmm. And 
everything just fell into place. Um, and, you know, of course, I've had the last week of people, you know, messaging me, people I don't even know saying, you got to ask for a recount, you got to ask for a recount. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not close enough for the state to pay for a recount. So I would have to pay for the recount, which if we did all of the precincts in the district would be, you know, probably, I don't remember right now, but like over $3,000, which I just, I don't have that in my campaign accounts. And, you know, I want to make sure that if we do ask for that, that it's a prudent use of money because we'll have to raise it. And so I want to just be really careful how we, how we approach it. Um, Cause you know, I I really want to go into this believing that, you know, everybody just has a bad day and somebody somewhere along had a, you know, made a mistake. And I, I want to believe that everybody's just doing the best that they can. Mm-hmm. And, but I, you know, there's a much bigger picture out there. And the first and foremost most is that we need people to believe in the system and understand that it works and that people are, are honest and our elections are safe and true. And, yeah. you know, when you just go right in and scream, you know, stolen election, that just builds mistrust. And that's not not what we want to do here. We want to correct a mistake. And however that happens is we want to do it methodically and strategically and for the best interests of the people of the state of Idaho. Yeah. I mean, really, at the end of the day, if that's the way they voted, then that's what the voters want. So, you know, you have have to respect that decision, of course. So uh, it, it, you've been traveling around, like you say, you were campaigning for like nine months or whatever. Uh, what's what sort of what are the big issues that are facing the rural voters in central Idaho? Hmm. Well, you know, the one thing they have in common uh, is that they're tired of the divisiveness within just not only you know local politics, but state politics and, and national politics for sure. They want servant leaders and they want people that are willing to do the job and listen. And so that was the the thing I heard throughout the district. Um, Idaho has been in a drought for a couple of years. And so water and how water is managed is a huge issue here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, education, Idaho's last when it comes to, to spending. We're in the bottom of all of the 50 states where some of the last and how well we fund our schools. So uh, those issues are across the board. People come at them from different directions, but you know, everybody wants good schools. Everybody wants good water, clean water, and uh, they want economies that work for their families. And, you know, this, this district is pretty diverse politically. It has the, the very most left and the very most right and a whole bunch of people in the middle. And, Everybody wants kind of the same thing, so they just come at it from different directions. Yeah. Well, how, so speaking of some of these national issues, I mean, how does how does the, some of the national issues play out in your area? For example, uh, all this border talk, you know, about you know, the border with Mexico, uh, build the wall, etc. I mean, does that even resonate in Idaho? I mean, you guys actually border a different country up there, so um, <laughs> is that actually provide much fodder for the uh, opposition? Um, well, absolutely. It's an issue. And, and so this is an ag economy and um, much of the work done in um, ag production and food processing is done by 
immigrant labor. Mm -hmm. And so the border is, is a big issue because we, uh, we have to have labor and, um, if, if we don't have labor, we don't feed the world and farmers in Idaho feed millions and millions of people across the world. So it's a big issue. And again, it's how people come through it. And, and our uh, congressional delegation, along with our dairy industry and some of our big ag, um, ag industry uh, groups have really been lobbying at the federal level for um, an avenue for citizenship and an avenue for working mm-hmm. uh, so that the people that do come in from other countries um, have have options to be able to work and stay here um so yeah it's a big issue and pretty divisive on some levels but mostly people understand that you know the dairies here there's not a line of local uh there's not a line of of local people waiting to go milk cows every day. The people that are working those jobs are immigrant labor. And let me add, they're from all over the world. They're just not from, they're not all from Mexico. They're from all parts of Central America for sure. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a big um, refugee resettlement system Mm -hmm. here in Idaho. So we have people from Africa and from uh, Eastern Europe and and Asia, uh, so it's a it's a bigger issue than just the southern border. And it's kind of interesting how that plays out because most of the time when when you hear the talk from the extreme right about the border in Mexico, they talk about it in terms of uh, people coming to take our jobs or or spreading crime or something like that. In your area, it sounds like no, you know, we need these people here, you know, to basically be sharecroppers to help us out to help out our economy here. So it's almost it's interesting that, you know, if, if you if you completely close the border and don't let anybody in, um, that could cause a problem, couldn't it? It would it would cause a, a devastating problem for the economy here. And there is certainly a group of the population that uh, is worried about drugs and crime coming in mm-hmm. from um, Im- specifically Mexican immigrants. Mm-hmm. But. You know, really, when you start to look at the numbers, that that is just not the case. That's not who's coming in. Right. Um, and and uh, you know, I absolutely understand that people want legal immigration to happen. Um, but I also understand that that is a very complicated process when you're living in a country that has been overrun by war or gangs or or whatever. Um, we need yeah. to take a good look at the system and and understand why people are coming here. And then the other issue is that's a federal issue. And as a potential state legislator, you know, they're already here. My job is to make sure, would be to make sure that the people that are here are doing the things they need to do to be productive citizens and, and sure. take part in our economy. Yeah, all, all politics is local, as they say. But um, how about how about Roe v. Wade? I mean, the reversal of Roe v. Wade or the cancellation of it or whatever that took place over the summer. How is that playing out there in your neck of the woods? Well, you know, over the summer, it, we we ended up picking up quite a bit of support, especially volunteer support uh, right after it happened. But, you know, I live in this, especially the southern part of this district, which is so very conservative mm-hmm. politically. Um, people are afraid to be very open about their belief system until they know that you're safe. And so, you know, I, I was at a 
a community function in Jerome, Idaho this summer, not long after the decision came down. And this woman came up to me and she asked me some very pointed questions and I, I couldn't really tell where she was coming from. And finally she said, are, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And I, I said, I'm a Democrat. And she mm -hmm. said, oh, good. So you'll protect my my rights, right? And I said, well, yes, absolutely. I will do that. Um, and we probably picked up six volunteers just in that, you know, two or three week period of people that wanted to work uh, for uh, for politicians and candidates that uh, would protect women's reproductive health. Yeah. Um, but as as we got closer to the election, um, you know, that issue quieted down more than I expected it to. Mm -hmm. And um I was kind of, which I was kind of surprised by that because um, I would have people come up to me that I would, I've known for the 30 years I've lived in this community and I know that they are hardcore Republicans, but they came up to me, one woman, you know, put her finger in my face and said, you are going to take care of this, right? You're going to stand up for my reproductive health, right? Wow. And I said, mm -hmm. yeah, I will absolutely do that. But I don't know how much of that carried all the way through to election day. Yeah. Yeah, it, it seemed to kind of die down because so many other things started to become um, not more important, but certainly other things got added into the uh, into the bin, uh, particularly like things like inflation and the economy in general. Well, sure, sure. You know, the, the Republican Party really pushed that what they called dinner table conversation, you know, mm -hmm. and the economy and it, it was a big part of that. But, you know, in all honesty, Reproductive health care is absolutely a dinner table conversation. And, and in Idaho, because we had a trigger law, now abortion has been banned here at mm -hmm. every level. You know, there's no mechanism to deal with extra babies being born into a system that is already kind of already crowded um, into an education system that's already underfunded. Uh, th those are absolutely economic issues. Uh, but we those of us on the side of reproductive right in women's healthcare, we didn't do a really good job of communicating that message out. And so the other side message got heard more often. Yeah. And, and uh, I, you know, in a way, as much as I find it a little odd and almost creepy on some levels, I'm sort of jealous of the Republican messaging machine because we could tell on the campaign trail when new messaging went out because all of the candidates from state offices on down repeated word for word the same messages and and it oh, was yeah. all about fentanyl coming in over the border and economic issues and it word for word they would yeah. repeat whatever the messaging had been out and i'm kind of jealous that they have that kind of machine because we don't have that yeah, it's kind of like the Borg in Star Trek, though. I mean, they're I look at, <laughs> yeah. they're all they're all singing the same tune. They're all plugged into the same big brain, and and uh, whether or not that brain is actually doing anything intelligent, we don't really know. It's just that, <laughs> and we we see the same thing in Missouri too. It's uh, the same message yeah. comes out from several different directions, and, and it's like I, I guess people just sort of get tired of that after a while. They feel like they're being worked, you know. But that that's a good topic to oh, to yeah. jump to jump off on because. You know, I recently watched a 10-minute a video where Chuck Todd, you know, from Meet the Press, or as I like to say, Press mm -hmm. the Meat, uh, interviewed rural <laughs> voters in, in, in northeastern Iowa. 
a different state, I know, but still it's a rural, a rural area. And I got to say, I was shocked by how the Democrats, I mean, since 2008-ish, uh, just seem to have folded up their tents and moved out of town. And when that happens, oh. there's really no way to get that message out from from a from a party perspective. And, um, and and it's not like there's no potential for the Democratic Party in rural areas, because a lot of folks that Chuck Todd interviewed, they said they really do want to see an alternative to the constant drumbeat of doom, gloom and hatred coming mm-hmm. from the right. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's really no place, no place for them to turn, though, is there? There's really not. And, and it's been a matter of some discussion within the the party here. You know, we lost all of our infrastructure in rural areas. And, and, you know, in Jerome County, which is a huge county, a very red county, we don't even have a Democratic Central Committee. And so um, it, it was hard to kind of get your foot in the door. And we have a state party that, um, you know, really does the best they can with what they have. Um, but they have for many years, many decades, really, they have been pretty focused on the the districts that are around the capital city of Boise and then the Blaine County, which is now in my district, which is that Sun Valley ski resort area, you know, has been blue. In fact, I'm the first loss in uh, quite some time uh, Mm -hmm. to a Republican. So they really focus their time and attention there and just tried to hold the ground that they have with, without making an effort to really, break into ground that they had lost like yeah. in Jerome County and the nationally and statewide, you know, Democrats for whatever reason really turned their backs on rural communities and working class families. And I don't really understand how that all came about, but uh, I understand the anger and animosity toward the party in in these rural areas because the democrats haven't shown up for them and in cases where we have we haven't told them about it and so we we we're just always behind and and we made some big strides in this state this summer but uh we didn't tell anybody about them and so we've got to do better about communicating who we are and what we do yeah well, I'm I'm sort of curious too because th- this really has to do with uh, a, a more central question about party support. I, I'm not seeing uh, well. First of all, I'll also say that in Missouri here, I've interviewed quite a few people, especially in the rural areas of Missouri here, and they have no county Democratic Central Committee either. You know, it's either mm-hmm. they're either Republican or they're independent. Believe it or not, <laughs> but there's nothing nothing mm-hmm. for Democrats. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I. I'm not seeing that much support from the party. So when you when you ran, did the party even like uh, want anything other than money from you? I mean, did they did they actually provide any sort of training or provided maybe some sort of a database without charging you an arm and a leg for it? I mean, (laughs) what did they do? Well, they did a little bit because Blaine County, which is a, a blue dot in the sea of red that is southern idaho um they were really worried about losing access to the democratic voting population in that county Mm -hmm. so they would send you know canvassers in and and they a couple times they sent in um teams from boise would come in and do door knocking and and things for for us in blaine county they didn't come down into the other two counties in this district Um, we they did have 
um, coordinated campaign messaging um, that we had to pay for, but it was nothing, you know, it was just not on issues that my constituents were really talking about. So I paid for it, but we didn't use it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the executive team, it has, it was pretty good about being available to me when I had questions and, um, but it was kind of, they don't know what to do with me because I, I'm too, cons- I'm too conservative for the for the liberals and I'm too liberal for the conservatives uh-huh. and they don't really know how to handle me. Cause I'm not a party faithful. You know, there's some, some issues where I really stray away from the, what the party wants. And, but they also know that I'm a strong and powerful voice for rural communities and we need to do better. Yeah. And so, uh, they made some big strides. So, um, we formed over the summer at our convention, the Idaho Farm and Ranch and Timber Caucus within the Democratic Party so we can do a better job of reaching out in those communities. But mm-hmm. for my campaign, it, you know, those issues, those 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 mechanisms were not in place. Wow. Yeah. And you, you mentioned door knocking, too. I mean, it's it, um, so I live like on the edge of like uh, suburbia and rural area here. So, but my neighborhood is still like 500 and some houses here. So I could knock on 500 doors probably in a weekend here if I were to do that, mm-hmm. but knocking on doors in the country, I mean, if you knock on 500 doors where, you know, out in the County, you're going to travel, you know, with a mile between each door, <laughs> you're going to travel like 500 well, miles. Yeah. And you can't do that in a weekend though, can you? Well, and you know, the Democrats are, are very big into door knocking and I, I totally understand that, but I also think in a, post-COVID world, we need to take a look at how we do business. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, especially this summer when it, we were in a heat wave here. So it's 106 degrees at six o'clock at night. And you got some politician in July knocking on your door. And you know what? I, I love politics. I can talk politics for hours. It still irritates me when some politician knocks on my door. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was always in trouble because I wasn't knocking enough doors and, but I kind of went at it from, uh, I need to, I, I try to go to every community event and meet people where they were. Mm-hmm. And I was really hoping for a win so I could prove that my strategy was right. But I, I think it's kind of a hill I'm going to die on. We need to relook at how we approach, especially rural communities. Cause you know, I, there's two of the counties, two of the cities within my county don't even have a hundred people in them. And, um, and so to drive and to drive door to door, you know, I'm willing to do that, but you know, we've got to, we've got to really take a look at how we're interacting with people Mm -hmm. and what we're bringing to the table. And there's parts of my district that it's not particularly safe for a democratic woman to go marching up to the door. Yeah. So I, I need to, I think we need to rethink, especially, you know, with the results of the last election, yes, we did gain some ground nationally, but we we lost some ground statewide. And I think we need to take a look at how we do business because business as usual is not sustainable anymore. Yeah. And I really think that people tend to look at it, election day as the end, as the finish line, but really election day is the starting line. And mm-hmm. it's right now when we need to rebuild our infrastructure and spend time out in the community doing good work so people understand who we are and we're not a threat and that when it comes for the election season we've already established those relationships and 
and can then go into neighborhood events and get to know people. Yeah. That's a good approach because I've often thought about that myself because you know, back when I was getting my start and doing like getting involved in politics before I did any of the podcasts that I do, and um, it was like 2018 and I decided, okay, I'm going to help the Democrats knock on doors. And this was back when Josh Hawley was running against Claire McCaskill. And I was like, yeah, I don't want Josh Hawley in there, so I'm going to work for her. So I probably knocked on like 500 doors in my area here. But um, there were some areas that were farmland, you know, and I remember particularly this one, this one farm I'm walking up to, and it was like a uh, maybe a tenth of a mile to get to the guy's door, right? I'm walking way up his driveway. And I get up there, and there's like this big German shepherd sitting there. And I'm like, uh, okay. And the German shepherd's looking at me like, are you Republican or Democrat? Um, <laughs> how much meat you got uh-huh. on your bones? You know? So um, you know, I knocked on the door, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm, I'm out of my element. <laughs> it's just like I'm a city boy. I'm out here in this farm. I have no idea what I'm doing. Fortunately, yeah. nobody answered. Um, or maybe unfortunately, because yeah. that dog was still sitting there, you know, I, but, um, I did my let drop yeah, and I you, left, but that, that's really hard to do though. And, and, and so it, it is seems really like, hard to do. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, one, one of the things I did is I, uh, the Idaho Farm Bureau sponsors a really good campaign school. And so I went to that. I, I, I think I was the only Democrat there, but I went to that because I wanted to get to know farmers. I wanted them to see that I'm friendly and that I speak the language. Um, the The Democratic Party in Idaho didn't have campaign school until after the primary, and wow. I refused to go. I yeah. I, I got to be out campaigning, and they brought in some great speakers for some online training. But they all they did it. Uh, they did it on days when I was already out campaigning, and I finally sent a message to the party chairman and I said, listen, I can be sitting in my house listening to the speaker who's great, but I think that probably my best place to be is out meeting voters. And yeah. she agreed yeah. with me. Um, so they were a little behind. Um, and again, you know, these are people that are really trying hard to do the best that they can do. And, you know, being a Democrat in Idaho, is about playing the long game and yeah, you yeah. you cannot approach it as a sprint it is a marathon and you have to keep your eye on the prize and that's really hard to do because especially in a world where social media tends to control the conversation mm-hmm. it is hard to stay in for the marathon mm-hmm. but uh i when it comes to reaching farmers and and people in rural communities, I just tried to go where they were go where they were going to be. Yeah. So I went to farm bureau things, and I I went to uh, the farm and ranch uh, the farm and ranch center for the state department of agriculture had a big farmers conference a few weeks ago, and I went to that, and uh, you know I sponsored uh, prizes at the county fairs, and I did all that kind of stuff because that's where those those families are and and they need to see you and they need to to be able to talk to you in person and not just see your lit drop yeah so yeah yeah that, that's that's a very good point there but there must be some other ways that that republicans are able to do this right i mean they're they're not i, I are have you ever seen republicans knocking on doors or are they using some other method to reach the people there well in this district, they did a lot of lit drops, but the Republicans are seen here as ag friendly, um, and mm-hmm. the Democrats are seen as, as um, first of all, I was at a meeting with some of the uh, bigger lobbyists, the ag lobbyists in the state, and you know there was one of the lobbyists there that 
it works for a couple different agencies, but he's a powerful man. And he said, the minority party has no business being here. Hmm. And I, and I just thought, well, you know, that might be fine and dandy, except that, you know, in agriculture, we have to feed everybody. We can't just put Idaho potatoes out and say, these are only for the Republicans. Like we feed everyone and we have to stop thinking of agriculture as white male married Mm-hmm. Christian that because that's just not who agriculture is agriculture is a diverse industry filled with people from all over the world and and from all interests and backgrounds and but we get this mindset that that's who we are and those white Republican males they tend to think of themselves as Republican well we are silencing the voices and losing the resource of everybody who doesn't identify as white and male and and so we have to in agriculture we got to do better about understanding that but also the democrats need to be better about explaining who they are and what their concerns are when it comes to agriculture because i even even as a member of party and a member of the agriculture industry i get on defense when somebody i get into defensive position when somebody comes at me saying conservation or sustainable practices because i don't think they understand what that means and they don't think i understand what that means and really we're talking about the same thing but we're coming at it from two different directions Mm -hmm. and we're both already angry before the conversation has started we've got to do better about understanding who farmers are and what they need and we, as the party, uh, need to have those conversations. And we're just, we haven't been doing that. So the Republicans are just seen as being on the side of Idaho farmers and ranchers. And, you know, in some cases that's true, but in some cases it's not. Well, I mean, it, one thing you could bring up is the uh, the trade war that, you know, who started with China, which kind of backfired. And, you know, China said, okay, we're going to buy our soybeans somewhere else from Brazil or whatever. And, and, you know, then President Trump at the time had to uh, supplement the farmers with what, $12 billion or so. I don't remember exactly what the details are anymore, but that's something that, uh, that's pretty anti-agricultural in my opinion. And that's something that, did the Democrats ever get any sort of mileage out of that? Or they ever talk about that at all? Yeah. That's weird. No, they don't talk, they don't talk about it at all. Um, I, like I said, did at our convention, we, we kind of came towards the middle and the person that led that was, um, a person named Terry Pickens Manweiler, and she was running for Lieutenant governor in this state. And she stood up at the democratic party convention and looked at the platform committee and said, who had given us a 10 page platform that was very specific. Mm -hmm. And she just stood up and said, if you send us into the rural areas with this, you've stopped conversation and none of us are going to get elected because, you know, we can't run on this, on this platform because we've just limited any amount of conversation and understanding what people in rural, rural areas need Mm -hmm. to thrive. And I was shocked and amazed that they came back the next day with a six page, six platform, six plank platform Mm -hmm. on one page that included rural issues and ag economics for the first time. And I was so impressed with her that she was able to convince the platform committee to do that. The catch is, as I've said, we, we didn't tell anybody we did that. And, you know, farmers and ranchers, 
in Idaho, if you sit down and talk to them, you know, they want what the rest of us want. They want sure. to be able to do business and they want to be able to educate their children and they want to do it without somebody in their face all the time. Um, and, and we just have to have those conversations and we've just lost that art of, you know, being a statesman or a stateswoman, instead of being a politician, we need to listen and talk and, and, and right. remind everybody that we're not out to wipe out, you know, farms and ranches. That's not what we're trying to do. We right. need to understand what they need and find a way to get there that serves everybody. You know, that doesn't sound like rocket science either. I mean, <clears throat> it really just amounts to, you know, talking to people, right? I mean, it's like having those conversations. And you can't do that with door-to-door lip drops, right? You, you just have to... Well, you can't do that with door-to-door lip drops. And you can't do that if you go in with your decision already made. You have to you have to listen. And you have to understand that the first time you talk to that farmer, you know, he or she may not... You know, the thing with farmers and rangers that I've learned after... You know, I lived on a, on a large dairy for 25 years and... Uh, my dad is a farmer and I come from a long line of farmers and ranchers. And here's the thing, farmers and ranchers are often not mad at you. They're mad at whatever happened before you walked in the door. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, you have to understand that this, again, it's the long game. It's building relationships and, and try to understand. I mean, our farmers and ranchers have such vast information and knowledge tucked away in their head. You got to ask them the questions and, this it's again, what I say, you know, our campaign for 24 started, uh, uh, well, it started November 10th when I found out that I didn't win. Um, and, and it's taking the time in 2023 to go meet the farmers and ranchers and the people that live in these communities that are afraid of the democratic party and, Mm -hmm. and start tearing down those walls. I don't know how many times people would come up to me. So I don't use my party affiliation on anything, Mm -hmm. um, because I'm a public servant. I don't care. I don't care if you are red or, or blue or whatever, I'm purple and I'm here to to listen and I'm a public servant. So I don't use that, but people will come up to me and say, which party are you in? And I'd say, I'm a Democrat. And they would just flip around. They would walk away, slam the door in my face. Well, we got to fix that. Yeah. We've got to we've got to change that notion that we're the enemy, especially in ag economies. Well, what are what are the what are the conservative people or what are the farmers listening to? I should say because I I read this book from Ann Nelson called um, Shadow Network, where she chronicles how the Republicans uh, and really I wouldn't say Republicans; it'd say more like the extremist Republicans. I I, I actually you know put them in two different categories, and how they infiltrated into the rural areas. Uh, one way was dominating AM spectrum, band, uh, AM bandwidth, AM radio bandwidth. Um, mm-hmm. Newspapers, a lot of them have gone out of business. The ones that have stayed in business have been gobbled up by big media corporations, so they're just now pushing like you know uh, all kinds of national issues, which don't resonate that well in the rural areas, but it still gets people riled up about stuff like, you know, the border or whatever. Even even in church pamphlets, they, they end up you know, putting some information there. This is a sort of infiltration that has taken place in, in the long game, as you say. But is this what the, is this what rural people are really, you know, listening to? They're listening to AM radio during the day and then they're listening to Fox or watching Fox News at night or something like that? What, what, what sort of media is being used out there? 
Well, I, I think that's what I'm seeing in, in many of the farm families that I work with. It's AM radio um, and Fox news. And, uh, the other, you know, the other issue is we've not given them any alternatives. And yeah. um, I've been, I've taught a few people how to listen to podcasts and that has opened up some eyes and ears. Um, and we, you know, we have a regional paper here that's based in Twin Falls, Idaho. And then up in the, the Haley Ketchum area, uh, there's a couple local uh, publications there. We have one tiny little weekly little newspaper here. Um but we we just aren't staying on top of getting our messaging out and writing the op-eds and contributing where we can. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we've talked about amongst some of the other candidates that were not successful is, you know, really positioning ourselves as, as subject matter experts wherever we can. I'm an expert when it comes to building community coalitions, when it comes to creating things like a youth center and a transit program and a business incubator. I can do those things because I work across the proverbial aisle and Mm -hmm. I um, am able to build those bridges. Uh, there's a, a woman who ran for Congress who's based in Rigby, Idaho. She's a first grade teacher. She's a brilliant educator. And, and she needs to be positioning herself within the local media that there is as a subject matter expert when it comes to education. Mm -hmm. And people get to know us in those non-threatening ways. And and I, I, we need to do more of that and, mm -hmm. and, okay. and could be churning out that churning out that content and it's hard we all have other jobs and other responsibilities and it's hard to add that one more thing but we can again business as usual is not sustainable so right. we can choose to get we can we can choose to put together a an op-ed and get it sent in and or we can choose to not do that and have the same results in 24 as we saw in 22. yeah yeah, it's just an everyday process, really. Every day, yeah. and and I think yeah. one of the problems I'm seeing too is that you're getting this information up the chain of command too, right? I mean, it's yeah. they it doesn't resonate yeah. at the top. I mean, you end up with you know Hillary Clinton saying "basket of deplorables." Well, <laughs> I mean that was that was uh, uh, that was the death knell for for the party, I think, in that election. It it really has it really was, and and we've not done anything to counteract that yeah. either. And, and let me be clear, I am, I am far from perfect on this. You know, I have a podcast that I barely get updated. You know, I was trying to do it once every 10 days. And once the campaign started, I, I didn't even get it up once a month. I understand firsthand how hard it is to, to get that out. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but you have to be consistent and, and I'm, I'm, constantly working on being consistent in and our messaging from the national party on down to you know the little local our local county teams uh, we're just not consistent and it is hard we all are working to keep the roof over our heads and make sure we're spending time with our families and this is just one more thing we have to do but i have really learned especially in the last week it is one more essential thing that has to be the priority or we will continue to be, we will continue to, to watch our cities and counties and states and our nation not have choices where the extremists have more control than they ever should. Yeah, yeah. And that's the real danger there too. Yeah. 
Well, uh, we're, we're going to coming up toward the end right here, but I do want to hit on a couple more topics here because, um, you know, you, you, you stepped up and you ran and you took the challenge. You went for the brass ring. You you rode the meanest bull in the rodeo, I guess. I, I'm trying to sound like a country person, but I'm a city guy. So sorry about that. Have I offended you? But um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it came very close to winning. And so do you I guess the, the answer is yes. Are, are you planning on running again? And if so, for the same position or what? Um, uh, yes, that's the plan for now. Um, you know, again, <laughs> it's that being a Democrat in Idaho, you got to play the long game. Mm-hmm. This was a new district. We went through a redistricting process mm-hmm. and we just didn't have good information on what the voters, especially in Jerome County, looked like. Um, the, the previous district 26 um, included Lincoln and Blaine County, but also included two other counties that were districted out and Jerome County was brought in and uh, we knew it was a red district and uh, we really thought that my kind of purple platform would play well there and uh, and, you know, we, we failed by a little bit, but we still failed and we need, you know, we got to look at the numbers and see where we can do better, but absolutely. I'm going to run again. Uh, and right now we'll head for that. Uh, we need people to run. We need people to run, not just for legislative, but for city council and, you know, get on the cemetery board or I, the fire commission or whatever. But mm-hmm. if you really want to see democracy in action, you have to engage and get involved. And that means starting somewhere. And if that means that you meet once a month with the agency that oversees your dog pound or the library or whatever, you got to do those things because um, until we get more people involved in the system, uh, we just will continue to have a population that doesn't understand how the system works and then does not understand how they play an essential role in how democracy works in this country. Remind me of an expression from another podcaster. I'm going to steal it from him. He always says, democracy is not a spectator sport. You have to participate. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, and I think a lot of people, you know, farmers, you know, we, we talk about farmers, but a lot of other people are busy too. And at the end of the day, you know, you just want to, you want your kids to go to good schools. You want to uh, work a good job, get paid, um, get um, a nice house and decent living. And then you got to throw politics on top of that. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't do that, uh, you stand to lose something that's probably more fundamental than anything else. And that is how society functions. And you can take advantage of society. Absolutely. You can take advantage of society because it, it offers you all these great things, but it can be taken away, too. <laughs> and unless you're it can be taken away. Yeah. 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 And it can and it will happen. It will happen right in front of your eyes and you don't really understand how much of it's gone until you need it until you need to take advantage of um i don't know let's say you you need something from the fire commission and and it's not there because we didn't have enough people to get involved and we don't have enough people to volunteer for rural fire districts um and when you have a fire at at your home and it takes 20, 30 minutes for a fire department to get there. That happens because people don't engage. And yeah. my favorite quote, I've, well, I've, I love quotes. I'm always throwing quotes out, but my favorite one for this situation is by Marjorie Moore. And it's, you know, you vote in elections once a year, but when you volunteer, you're voting every day mm-hmm. on the kind of community you want to live in. And I just, think that's so true and so profound. And even though, you know, you get home from work and you just want to 
sit down. I really encourage all my followers to just to give one hour a month, one, one hour a month to something that's important to you yeah. and watch how your world changes. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So you're running again. So where, where can people go to learn more about, uh, about your upcoming campaign and, and possibly to participate? Well, so the, the website is karmaforidaho.com and we have not had a chance to really switch gears yet to flip it from running in 22 to running in 24. So give me some grace of, of, uh, letting my my volunteer team may have a few weeks off to recuperate, but um, the best place really to find me if, if they're on social media, I'm at Karma for Idaho on Facebook and Instagram. And those are really uh, where we're most active. And um, then also watch for the purple perspective, which is my podcast. Um, and as I mentioned, we're not very consistent on getting it up, but we're going to try and do better in the coming year. And, um, that's really the best place to learn about me and, and my platform and to get involved. Um, you know, I don't care who you are. I, I am really well connected. If you want to get involved in your community, I know who to call. So okay. uh, I, that, that's what I encourage. Good. I was going to ask you about the purple perspective because I did listen to a podcast the other night and uh, I thought it was pretty good. It was, uh, you know, it, it's, I, I love podcasts because they're so informative about specific topics and they're not, compelled to move on to the next topic because the next commercial break is coming in like 30 seconds or something. Mm -hmm. So you did a really good mm -hmm. job with it and hope that you can, uh, that you can fire that thing up again. Although I realize I speak from firsthand experience, it's pretty time consuming, but, uh, but it's, it's pretty rewarding <laughs> it is. too. I'm, you know, my career before I, you know, got married and moved to the farm, I was a journalist and, and did broadcast journalism in addition to print. And, I had forgotten how much I loved it. And, and so it was really fun to be, it is really fun for me to be behind the microphone again. The technology, however, has all changed and uh, I've got to get some help on, on making all the tech come together so I can do the things that I want to do. But um, most of the time it has worked out really well. We've met some really cool people and had some fun discussions. And I think there's more of that to come for sure, but yeah. it's, it should be on all the major uh, podcast networks. So. Yeah, oh yeah, it is. I, I, I had no, I had no problem finding it. I just looked for the purple perspective, and it just uh, came right up there. So, it was uh, yeah. easy yeah, to find. Yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah, it's. Um, and I, I know what you mean about the technology too. I used to be a, a DJ many, many years ago when I was back in college, just as a college radio station, and I loved it so much. Mm -hmm. Then I got into engineering, and um, now I'm back into it again, and it's just it's fun. It's it's just it's oh. it's a, a shot in the arm, really. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But, you know, back when I was in college, I was, you know, cutting tape apart with a razor blade and putting things together. And, and, uh, I've had to learn, uh, you know, uh, app, uh, what's the movie guitar band or guitar. What is it? Band something, whatever's on Apple. I don't even know what oh, yeah, yeah. garage band. Garage band. Yeah. yeah. I can just see the guitar on, on the yeah. app. Ooh, I just showed my age there. I can, and my children, I, I did the same hear this. And yeah. yeah. So yeah. I've had to learn garage band. Um, but you know, the fundamentals are still there. And so I just need to, to get a little bit more up to speed so I can do things like what you're doing and have guests in from all over. And, yeah. and, uh, yeah, it's been really, really fun. And, uh, there's, 
I got one of the things that happened while I was campaigning is one of the local digital media platforms in the Wood River Valley, which is Blaine County. Uh, it's a great digital platform called Ion Sun Valley. They offered me a job as a reporter. So I get to go back to being a journalist every so often. Wow. And that's kind of fun, too. That is fun. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. You, you just reminded me about uh, cutting uh, audio tape with a razor blade. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we had the, the grease pencils. We'd have to, like mark it out. And then. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that was that was real pain. Now I do splices all the time and I don't even think about it. But back then yeah. it was a really mechanical process. And if you didn't yeah, get it right, you, you, it's wasted. What, what was that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once you cut it, you're, you're not getting it back very easily. Taping. I have taped things back together in my time. But, but uh, yeah, I really I loved that process of it, too. But it's fun, mm. fun to do it on these these newfangled you know, digital apps and, and, yeah. uh, I, I'm learning a lot and it's given me time to spend with my, uh, 20 year old music major son who has come in. He wrote most of the music that you hear on my podcast, but he also has coached me through some editing and, and some other things. So it's been really a fun way to connect with him. Oh, good. That's a good thing to good, good resource to have there. Yeah, just give me a shout sometime. I can tell you what the setup I have here. It's not really, really fancy, but it's, uh, it works pretty well for me. Um, okay, let's call it there. We've been talking with Karma Metzler Fitzgerald, candidate for the State House District 26 in Idaho, also a mom and a community organizer. Uh, Karma, thank you very much for joining us on Democracy on the Move today. Well, I'm so glad to have found Democracy on the Move. We've loved listening to it here in Idaho, and thank you so much for this opportunity. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, well, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead, and we hope you'll tune in again next week. Mm-hmm.